What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today we had Dr. Jen Salib Huber, who is a Canadian registered dietitian and naturopathic doctor and intuitive eating coach. And she's also on a mission to help women thrive in midlife. She helps women navigate the physical and emotional changes that happen in perimenopause and menopause, including their search for food freedom and body confidence. Working from a health at every size approach, she teaches women to become intuitive eaters and build body confidence at any stage of midlife. Dr. Jen is well-versed in the integrative treatment options available to women in perimenopause and menopause. She helps women come up with a treatment strategy that helps them go from hot, sweaty, and tired to calm, cool, and confident. I love that. Her group program, Beyond the Scale, helps women undiet their lives after 40 so they can nourish a relationship with food that helps them discover the magic of midlife. And she also hosts a podcast called The Midlife Feast. And she's funny. (laughs) And she's amazing. (laughs) Today was just such a great conversation, as we said with her off air like you and I definitely both get a lot of questions about this and of course you and I have not yet entered perimenopause that we know of right she was talking about you know her experience spinning yeah but um it's it's just great to have someone who's so well versed as a dietitian as a naturopathic doctor and then of course who has the lived experience of being at that stage so I just so enjoyed today's conversation. I can't wait to send it to like every client. And during this conversation, I had this like light bulb moment. I had to like write it down so I wouldn't forget to say it now. But throughout all seasons of our podcast, we have interviewed people who specialize in such specific areas from sports to menopause, all using intuitive eating as their backbone of their practices to help humans heal from the medical diagnoses and their relationship with food. And I just think it's really cool. Yeah. Like we had, what was that last week? We had one that was specific on like gut health with intuitive eating, right? Menopause and intuitive eating. Like you said, sports nutrition. I mean, it's everywhere across the spectrum. I mean, in season one, you interviewed the marathoner, right? The runner, intuitive eating and food freedom. Like it's just everywhere across the spectrum intuitive eating can help. And I just think it's a really cool thing. And I, I want to give us a pat on the back <laughs> for finding all of these specialists and just sharing it because I think the more that we can bring in diverse topics about just the medical field and how intuitive eating works within it is just such a cool thing. 
Yes. And I love this episode because I, I know you've shared in this episode some personal experience with your mom. I know I have personal conversations I've had with aunts or just people in my life that are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you preach, but I'm in menopause and I can't lose these 10 pounds and I have to lose this weight. So like now we just send this podcast. Mm-hmm. Get ready. Little yeah. plug. <laughs> so we're going to stop talking because Dr. Jen Salib Huber has all of the knowledge bombs in this episode. So enjoy this episode and pass it along to anybody in need. Welcome back to another episode of the What the Actual Fork podcast. Today we are super pumped for our guest, Dr. Jen Huber, who is a non-diet dietitian as well as a naturopathic doctor and the host of the Midlife Feast podcast. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time, so it's a real treat to be a guest. Yes, we're so excited. And like we said before we started recording, like this has been such a hot topic that we get so many questions on. And we've wanted to bring a guest on that's been specialized in this for a while. So we're excited. But before we jump into anything menopause related, we love to start our podcast just asking our guests, what is the most recent experience that you've had it could be recent it could be a year ago if it stands out to you it could be whatever months ago but what is your most recent experience that kind of stopped you in your tracks about diet culture and made you say what the actual fork oh do I really have to pick one you could pick a couple you could just rattle them off I'm sure you get tons in your niche so whatever comes up for thing. well you know I think that I always bring it back to, you know, the carbophobia that exists in all of diet land, but especially for women over 40. And so someone told me uh, recently that they were told that if they soaked their bread, drained the water, and then let the bread like to like dry out or roast it in the oven that they could then use that as like croutons or as like breadcrumbs, but it would only contain like half of the carbohydrates. I'm not even making this up because I couldn't make it up if I tried. Um, So, you know, I think that this whole idea of, you know, it's always about trying to find like this healthy swab and I'm using air quotes or like this substitute for the real thing that is just as good, but never is. Um, So that was a really crazy recent one that came to mind from last week. Can you wow. imagine? And nobody can see our faces unless they're watching on YouTube. <laughs> but Jenna and I were just like, holy shit, like shaking our heads. Like that is a new one. I have not heard that one. So that is an absolute, absolutely yeah. what the actual fork. I guarantee you it's from TikTok. It's <laughs> 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 all born, right? Oh. So like, speaking of that, can I just share my most recent WTAF moment? And I'm sure you guys have seen it too, but a viral post was posted yesterday, I think, or over the weekend of a photo shoot of a, a woman a fitness person having butt pads put down her pants and lifting up to sell these pants that are viral on TikTok, I believe. Like they're the TikTok pants, I think. I don't even know. But it's just like to make her butt look like, I I guess, what it would look like if it had butt pads in it. (laughs) Like it was so so absurd. 
Yeah, no, I saw that too. I've, I've seen a couple people remix that reel. I'm still not quite in TikTok world yet. Um, I'm still hanging out over on Instagram mostly, but I've seen that redone. And it's just like, what? there was nothing like, there's nothing wrong with her. But anyway, but why, why do we have to do that? And why do we have to, you know, put that expectation on anyone um, to look a certain way when everyone's butt is perfectly fine? Because it's a butt. Mm. I, oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, we're so excited to have you here. So Dr. Jen, this question, I have like two facets to it. First, I want to know what came first, the RD or the ND, or did they happen at the same time? Um, and we would love to hear your story of how you got to be the menopause nutritionist and how that specialty came to be, your story, and where the anti-diet piece came in for you. How, were you always practicing as an anti-diet dietitian, or did you dabble in the diet world like Sam and I back in <laughs> Oh, I dabbled. I definitely dabbled. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to date myself. So um, I started studying nutrition um, 26 years ago now. So I entered the nutrition world at the height of the low fat craze, which was still kind of hanging on in the 90s. And uh, it was it was in that process that I learned about integrative medicine. There was a really big, I'd say, like, push in the like food is medicine movement and kind of how can we start to think of food as more than just food. Um, and that really just kind of got me interested in functional foods and integrative medicine. So I heard about naturopathic medicine and integrative medicine while I was studying to become a dietitian and had planned to go right into that after qualifying for my RD. So it was kind of like discovered one while doing the other, but they all led together, but I didn't actually start working um, until 2004 when I had graduated from naturopathic school. So once that was done, I was very entrenched in the food is medicine diet culture world. At that point, you know, elimination diets were ruling the world. We were really kind of coming into the peak of the carbophobia and the Atkins craze. And everything was about, you know, you can heal yourself with food and every condition can be treated and prevented with food. And if you can't, then there must be something wrong with you. I was very much practicing in that world and, and was young and healthy and didn't have any kind of lived experience of living in a body that wasn't 25, um, but had my own kind of background in diet culture personally as well, but um, really kind of didn't start to see the flaws and the cracks in that model until I'd been in practice for probably five or six years, um, realizing that not everything can be treated and prevented with food. Food matters, but just not as much as we've been led to believe. And when we start making it medicine, it takes the joy out of everything and just started to see that whole world of orthorexia, which had been right in front of me, but I'd had blinders on because I was still so much believing that food is medicine. And you know we should be putting 110% into what we eat and how we eat and you know making sure that all the labels in the boxes were checked. But it really kind of started to fall apart when you know I was in my mid-30s and I went into perimenopause early. So I'm almost 45. 
um, about to be menopausal, kind of perpetually in that waiting room, never sure if my last period is my last period. Um, so I went into perimenopause, you know, shortly after my kids were born and it all just started to crumble and where none of the things that worked were working anymore. And I started to really see that for the women in my practice, it was the same thing. They were, you know, doing all the same things, trying harder, doing better, and none of it was working. And I realized that there was something wrong with the model. There wasn't something wrong with us. And and just kind of serendipitously was introduced to intuitive eating, I think somewhere around 2015. I don't remember exactly how. Um, and then, you know, kind of went down that path. And uh, I think it was 2016 that I closed my practice to weight loss and, you know, really felt like it was no longer ethical because it wasn't working and it wasn't helping anyone. And it wasn't helping women in midlife who had been struggling with food for 20 years. So that's kind of the the long and the short of it. <laughs> how was that transition? Like, it, I, I just want to like acknowledge how much courage it takes to like shut down a practice that's already functioning and probably had a client base and a client load that was offering like air quotes, weight management kind of help. So what was that transition like shutting down that practice and then kind of like transitioning into intuitive eating world? I remember when I did the first, um, the first part of the trainings with, um, with Evelyn Triboli as part of the intuitive eating pro series. And I was learning this and I was thinking, I love this and this resonates and this is so true for me, but how am I ever going to convince someone of this? And so I feel like the first six months of that was like very carefully just testing the waters with some people and saying like, what if you didn't start a diet? What if we didn't do this? And let's just get curious about what would that look like? And what would it feel like if, you know, you could honor taste hunger while still trying to eat with intention? Like, what would that look like? And, and I remember that there was one person um, who really kind of cemented for me that this was like my path and what I needed to do was she came in, she was completely new to me and was coming in for, you know, her 26th diet and had really just spent a lot of emotional energy telling me about her history with dying that she'd done this and she'd done that. And she was trying really hard and why wasn't it working? And she must be doing something wrong. And she wanted me to really kind of refine that for her. And when I, you know, kind of gave her that intro spiel about intuitive eating, she burst into tears out of relief that she didn't have to start another diet, that I was the only, I was the first person in, you know, 20 plus years who had said, you can be healthy without making weight loss the goal. And that just really felt amazing. And so that kind of gave me the courage to say, okay, I'm really going to, you know, be more open about that, you know, my beliefs are changing and that, yeah, this is what I've done for the last 10 plus years. But when you know better, you do better. And I felt really committed to needing to do that. It wasn't like a choice. It wasn't a business decision. It was probably a bad business decision at first. Um, but I really felt like I needed to do this. Um, and I've never looked back. That was so relatable. And like when and when people watch this on YouTube, the five of you, <laughs> you'll see our faces, Sam and I, because I believe we've, we've all had that moment of, wait, how do I explain this to people and have them believe it? Yeah. Um, but with that said, and on that same vein, when a client of yours goes first to the doctor, let's say, and the doctor says, you know, you're in menopause and you need to focus on your weight, heavy air quotes, and you need to lose weight and to manage the symptoms and this and that. How do you explain 
intuitive eating and the anti-diet approach to managing the symptoms of menopause to these women who have been killed by their doctors that weight loss is the answer and that their metabolism is slowing down and all of these other scary things that are being shoved in their face that, you know, it's not any different than any other disease. Now that I'm saying this out loud from the doctor perspective Mm -hmm. to the patient, but as an expert in this field, where do you start? Yeah. And I, and I think that for a lot of people that really does, um, it motivates them again in air quotes, you know, to, to try again and to try harder. So I always bring it back to what I call these four pillars of intuitive nutrition, which is kind of like a hybrid of all the things out there, um, kind of applied to women in midlife that first we need understanding. We need to understand how our midlife bodies work because they have changed and they are different and the needs are unique. And we need to acknowledge that that is happening. But we need to understand what's happening. So as estrogen and progesterone levels fall, yeah, that does change our metabolism a little bit. It changes how our body looks. It changes how our body feels. But those changes are programmed into our DNA. They happen to every single woman. And 80% of women in midlife and perimenopause report body changes that include weight gain. And that's probably not accidental. And it's not because anyone's having a bagel for breakfast, right? Like these are changes that are programmed into our DNA. So if we can approach everything from that understanding and say, okay, if my body's doing this, what is, why is it doing that? Well, we know that an increase in BMI is protective for our bones. It decreases the rate of bone loss. If you have an increase in BMI after menopause, Why doesn't anybody tell women that when I tell women that, and that's recent data that just came out, um, you know, they're like, oh, okay, well, at least it's doing one good thing. Well, it's doing a lot of good things, you know, in that, yes, you know, it can produce a bit of estrogen, that extra tissue can produce estrogen, which is probably the protective effect or part of the protective effect. Um, You know, so I think that understanding what's happening and just maybe having an appreciation that, you know, you haven't failed and your body's not broken. Um, And there are so many ways that we can support health outside of that weight loss conversation. Um, So the first pillar is understanding. The second pillar is self-compassion. Again, you know, I've been through it. I know what it's like to feel like your body has a life of its own. And just because you turned 40, it doesn't feel fair (laughs) because it can feel like, well, I'm still doing all these things and why is my body changing? So kind of introducing that element of self-compassion because you can't hate yourself into a body you love. If you have spent 25 years trying to do that, it's not going to work any better in your 40s and 50s. Um, Then we come back to gentle nutrition and attunement, the last two pillars, because, you know, we can make intuitive, intentional choices that support our health. We know that, you know, for example, women in menopause and postmenopause may have more insulin resistance. There are 8,000 things we can do with nutrition and gentle nutrition and the principles of intuitive eating and joyful movement that can support that and can help manage that that have nothing to do with weight loss. But the only conversation they have in their doctor's office is, well, if you lose weight, it will fix all these things. Um, And as we all know, that's not the way it works for most people. Um, So it's really about just kind of backing, backing the bus up a little bit and talking about what is actually happening and what choice do you have? Because it's always a choice when it comes to your health. You don't have to do anything if it doesn't feel right. 
Hi guys, Jenna here, and I am obsessed with cereal. I love hot cereals like oatmeal and steel-cut oats, but also love a cold cereal moment. My toxic trait is mixing as many cereals as possible into one bowl and savoring every single bite. I try to do a mix of higher fiber cereals plus higher flavor cereals in there to keep me satisfied a little bit longer. And my current fave combo is Arrowhead Mills Organic Oat Bran Flakes mixed with their puffed kamut and the organic maple buckwheat flakes. I add berries and some chia seeds and milk and oh my god is it good, especially when it's hot outside. If you've never had these cereals, I highly recommend and you can now use code ARROWHEAD at vitacost.com to receive 15% off these products and any other products you want to try. Be sure to tag us in your cereal creations after you purchase and try for yourselves. I can't wait to hear what you think. I love that. It's not a moral obligation. Like I think people think that health is like something they have to improve. And again, because of diet culture tied to morality, but I love those four pillars. And that was so helpful to break that down. And I feel like I might be backpedaling by asking this question, but just for listeners to that maybe like are entering that perimenopause area. Like I know you were saying how for you personally, it came a lot earlier than expected. Can you just define like, what is perimenopause? What is menopause? And what are symptoms that people might be experiencing? Yeah. So perimenopause is the eight to 10 year period or two to 10 year period that happens leading up to your last period. You are considered to be in menopause when it has been 12 full months since your last period. So when I say that I'm in the waiting room, I'm going months between periods now, um, which is definitely perimenopausal. But Women will enter perimenopause long before they stop having periods and long before they notice any change in their cycle. Um, You know, the average age is around 45 because the average age of menopause is 52. But, you know, if we know that it's about 10 years, if I'm 45 now and I started noticing symptoms at 36, 37, that would be a really typical experience for the women that I work with. That there's a few years where you're kind of thinking, what's going on here? I'm noticing changes in my sleep and my mood. My body shape may be changing. There might be a worsening of PMS symptoms. Maybe you start to have like a rogue period um, or you start to have, you know, more cramping. All of these things are signs that the hormonal soup, as I call it, is changing. And so when that soup changes, the ingredients are changing, they may be in short supply, you may have some that are back ordered, you may have to make some substitutions, it might take longer to cook, you don't know what you're going to get at the end. And it's really unpredictable from month to month, which is a very different hormonal soup than most of us make in our reproductive lives. So it's really kind of characterized by these roller coaster changes in hormones that don't kind of follow a linear pattern or prescribed path. So um, we all tend to think about menopause as being the goal, but menopause is just one day. It's the day that marks 12 months since your last period. Everything before that is perimenopause and everything after that is postmenopause. That was so helpful. Jenna and I were like nodding, like (laughs) everything you were saying. Store it away because you guys have a few years yet. the definitions like that was such a good question Sam because I I mean when you say you're in menopause like that's not true it's only a day like that's so interesting yeah (laughs) but everyone talks about most people when they say I'm in menopause they mean that it's been more than 12 months since their last period fascinating it really is (laughs) um 
let's just switch gears if it's okay with you guys to the diet culture aspect of menopause of Harry and post menopause (laughs) (laughs) because I remember and I was telling Sam this before we before you hopped in that I remember being the good diet culture dietitian I was many many moons ago when my mom sorry mom was in her perimenopausal time and she had an experience at her doctor i remember and they had the weight conversation and she said my daughter's a dietitian she'll help me and i was googling i was like okay so no more carbs no more wine and i remember reading this ridiculous article about like this all sweet potato diet because sweet potatoes are like the best food ever women experiencing menopause like thank god my mom didn't follow that but i remember she ate a lot so that's really funny i actually posted on a a post uh i don't know a few weeks ago or maybe last week about how someone told me that they were um told to eat sweet potatoes because sweet potatoes contains a precursor that can be converted in a lab to a hormone or you know a hormone-like substance um you can eat all the sweet potatoes in the world or actually yams contain that precursor it's not even sweet potatoes so you know that's yeah that's definitely uh one i've heard before amazing amazing and kind of can't stop laughing her sound (laughs) is turned off but thank god uh lynn stock did not take that advice but let's talk about like the biggest myths that you have coming through your your office so uh talk about the carb phobias soy is another big one just anything that comes up for you just lay it out on the line right here Carbs is the biggest one. And so, you know, I feel like everybody starts the conversation about menopause nutrition and midlife nutrition with, I know carbs are bad for me, but I love them. Or, you know, I need a good substitute for carbs, or I need to learn to not want, you know, croutons on my salad or a bun on my burger. Um, And I think that this whole conversation around carbohydrates is, of course, like, part of the big picture around diet culture conversations about carbohydrates, but it's just based on this misunderstanding, you know, insulin is not the devil. Like insulin is a satiety hormone. It rises when you're full and it rises when we have carbohydrates as part of our meal. So, um, you know, I think that for so many women, they just hear insulin, they think weight gain, they think fat gain, and they go into fear land and they go into phobia land. So, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, carbohydrates, some women do better with less, some women feel better with more, there isn't a one size fits all answer with carbohydrates. And we just need to stop making weight the decision point in how many carbohydrates feel good for your body and what kind and how often and with what meals. Um, So, you know, when it comes to carbohydrates, I really try and do that kind of deprogramming, that undieting of, you know, just forget everything you were ever taught about carbohydrates, because chances are it was all wrong. You know, I remember the 80s when fat was still, you know, you know, the worst thing in the world. 
anything with carbs was like welcome because it was fat free. Like pasta and rice were health foods, were diet foods because they were fat free. Right. And so it's just the rules change all the time. And, you know, when you get focused on one particular area, chances are, you know, it's not going to stick around. So just, you know, forget everything that you've learned and try and learn that, you know, carbohydrates are our friend in perimenopause and menopause. They give us energy for joyful movement. They help to support serotonin production. And, you know, mood is definitely something that women notice a change in as they're in midlife. Um, And it's also a source of pleasure and joy. And I talk so much about how we need to welcome and invite those moments of pleasure and satisfaction in midlife. Not only does everyone deserve them, but we need them as we're going through all these other changes. What about that? I was actually looking at your Instagram and you have a great post on this too, but how often do you hear the word inflammation come into your office? Yeah. As like a scary word. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, I think it's, it is a scary word because, you know, if we're looking at like the big picture, yeah, there's evidence that inflammation can be a root cause for things like heart disease and cancers. And, you know, I think there are some legitimate conversations happening around that, but in the social media world or in the kind of diet culture world, inflammation is the cause and consequence of weight gain and weight changes. And so it is what everyone focuses on. It's like, Oh, if you fix your inflammation, by cutting out carbs or going keto or taking the supplement or whatever it is, then you will solve all these other problems. Um, And, you know, it obviously doesn't work that way, again, for most people. And, you know, I think that we need to recognize that inflammation, for the most part, isn't a medical definition, unless it also comes with markers of inflammation that we can measure, um, that we can, you know, medically manage, and that, having joint pain alone doesn't mean it's inflammatory. There's so many other reasons that we can experience joint pain that have nothing to do with inflammation. And sometimes treating the inflammation doesn't change the joint pain because they're not related. Um, But yeah, I think that for the most part, people are sold on this idea of inflammation being a cause and also a cure for body changes, which drives me crazy. Yes. And that was so all said, how they might not even be related at all, some of the symptoms yeah. with inflammation. So thank you for clearing that up. And the last myth we'll jump to, unless any others come up for you, but I would love to hear your thoughts on soy, because I will never forget having a consult with a woman years ago in menopause who like loved edamame and enjoyed it, but then told me that she can't eat it because she was in menopause and she can't have soy. And I remember being mm-hmm. so confused where this myth was coming from. So I would love to hear your thoughts on soy. Yeah. So soy is the most misunderstood food, poor soy. It gets such a bad rap. Um, But, you know, so soy is a great source of isoflavones and these isoflavones are what are called phytoestrogens, meaning that they are plant-like substances that can bind very weakly to some of our estrogen receptors. We have two estrogen receptors, alpha and beta. The one that our own estrogen binds to is primarily the alpha receptor. And the one that the plant-based estrogens bind to is primarily the beta receptor. And so, you know, when we have this really weak binding to this receptor, we think that phytoestrogens work primarily as estrogen modulators. 
receptors. So they can actually help to modulate estrogen either up, you know, to increase it a little bit or to decrease it a little bit. But regardless of how strong or to what extent they can affect the estrogen receptors, they are unequivocally safe. And the um, evidence is overwhelmingly in favor that not only are they safe, um, they are likely protective against some of the you know, conditions that people avoid them for, including breast cancer. And there's so much great research looking at things like type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance or managing, you know, elevated cholesterol, um, you know, and those are all real concerns for women in menopause that have nothing to do with the number on the scale, but that can be managed with gentle nutrition. So I do encourage women to try it on. So I, you know, take the try it on approach, like let's try including soy, let's use the add in approach to add soy and soy foods like edamame and tofu. And let's just see if it works for you, if you enjoy it, if it, um, you know, and if it is something that you want to include more of, and then we work towards that. But no one needs to fear it. There is absolutely no reason to fear soy foods. Um, you know, the verdict on soy supplements, I think is out in terms of like risk benefit long term, but soy foods, definitely good to go. Good to know. And happy to hear that because I'm obsessed with edamame (laughs) and could just eat like bowls and bowls of it at Asian restaurants. So good. Yep. So good. I didn't know looking at your post that tofu was made from soy milk and tempeh is made from soy beans. I didn't know that. I don't know where I was at school, but (laughs) I did not know that. I love both. And I'm on a very big tofu kick. If you go to Trader Joe's, I actually don't know where you live, but if you're near a Trader Joe's, the sriracha tofu is so good. Sam, you might like that right now too. Stop tempting me with your Trader Joe's. I'm like, well, I'm Canadian where we don't have it, but I'm living in the Netherlands right now where we definitely don't have it, but it's, I've been to Trader Joe's twice in my life and I wanted to move in. So It's not that good. (laughs) Well, I feel like we hit so many of our questions. Sam and I have a whole document of questions on here and we, we really nailed all of them. Is there anything that you want our audience to know that we did not cover today? Anything that you cover often in your practice or any other tidbits about the menopause Perry's post uh, that would be helpful. I just really want women to know that there is no better time than midlife to redefine their relationship with food. So many women come to this place in life, and especially if they've been dieting, uh, you know, for 10, 20, sometimes 30 or more years and feeling like it's something that they're doing wrong, that, you know, they can, they can completely step out of that framework out of that paradigm and they can really rediscover food and it can become such a source of not only nourishment and nutrition and it can still be part of their health goals but just such a you know thing of joy and pleasure and it is amazing to see women rediscovering this um, in midlife and it just being such a, a welcome you know welcoming back to something that we're all born with, which is, you know, how to eat and loving to eat and having this relationship with food that is intuitive. So it's never too late. I love that messaging. I always say when talking to clients, no matter what age they are, we've had our oldest client, I think was 79. And, but obviously have a whole range of clients as we all do. I think you would all agree that like, once someone gets to that place of really having freedom with food, they always look back and say like, 
I wish I did this earlier, no matter what age they're at, right? Whether they're 22, 55. So I love that you said that because I think so many times people think like it's too late. Like I already, I have too much dieting experience. Like I can't undo this, but it really is never too late to redefine that and get your life back in a sense. And I describe it too, that once you see it, so it's like those magic eye posters from the nineties. Again, I'm dating myself, but um, you know, I used to have a really hard time seeing the image that that hidden 3d image. And I would stare at it for a really long time. But once I saw it, I could come back to it five years later and I would immediately see it. And it's very much the same with diet culture. If you have been steeped in it, if you have been entrenched in this idea of needing to lose weight and getting to a certain size and constantly working towards that without ever knowing that this other world existed and that, you know, you could have all the things, um, you know, without having to constantly micromanage your food and worry about things and could actually live in body acceptance and not just dream of it. That, you know, once you see that, and once you call out diet culture and see it for what it is, you can't unsee it. And, you know, I think that that's a really great thing to witness. I'm sure you guys have seen that, that women, you know, or people will just, you know, kind of say like, I wish I had known this existed. Why was I kept from this world for all of my life? So yeah, it's accessible to everyone and it's amazing. I love that. Such a great point to end on. So Jen, if people are like, I need to follow her immediately, I need to reach out to her, where is the best place that they can find you and and some of your resources? The best place to find me is always on Instagram. I have links to kind of all of my things and places there. Um, It's definitely where I love to hang out and connect with people. So I'm at menopause.nutritionist. And I also have a website, which you can link to that. um, But it's jensalibhuber.ca. So um, yeah, it's been great chatting with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. This was so helpful. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun.